Yeah, now I don't know. I don't remember how to start. Do we, do we have a thing? <laughs> I was... You're just waiting on me. You're just waiting uh, to see know. what I was going to say. How are you? I don't know if I'm waiting. Um, I'm good, man. It's hot. Is it hot up there? It's, uh, man, it was, you know, oh gosh. So we're, this is our first day back at the, uh, back at the homestead after two weeks on the East Coast. And so our time zones are all messed up. We got in late last night. So we were all up at five o'clock this morning. And from five until about three minutes ago, it was not hot. And all of a sudden I'm smoking. I just in my room, it's like an oven. It can't be that hot up there. It's though. hot. It's a hundred and two. Check. I think it's, it's hundred and two. I need to tell you about my favorite app. Let's hear it of the uh, of the thing. Have you heard of Dark Skies? Ooh, have I? I don't Ooh, know. What is that? Dark Skies? <laughs> what is that? Like, isn't that, no? I'm thinking <laughs> Dark Skies. That's a video game. No, Dark Skies. I don't think so. So fun. All right. So it's a weather app. It's just a weather. Oh, that's all it does. Okay. And what it does for you is it tells you, you're going to laugh at me and you're going to call it dumb, but I assure you it is less than dumb. Uh, all it does is it, tell, it tells you, is it raining right now? And is it going to be raining in the next hour? Yeah, that does sound dumb. No, no, no. Stay with me. Because not only does it tell you, is it, because of course, I mean, is it raining right now? That's dumb. You could look up. Look up. Please don't, don't get an app to look up. Uh, but what it tells you more importantly than than looking up is how long it is going to be raining and at what uh, level of sort of rain density. And it has this beautiful little graph that says, you know, is it raining lightly? Uh, is it raining sort of moderately? And is it raining heavily? And how much longer is it going to be raining? So I thought this thing is so dumb because in Portland for the last, you know, before we left, I got the app and for like a week it didn't rain. It was just gloomy and sad, but it didn't rain. And so it never, you know, gave, gave me anything. So we went to New York and suddenly it starts starts raining a little bit. And I think, oh, dark skies. I can check out dark skies. This is fantastic. I'm going to open dark skies. You know what dark skies said? Go ahead, ask. No, I, I don't. It said it's raining right now. And it will be raining for the next four minutes. And you know what happened in four minutes? It stopped raining. Dave. The gods. Part it of the stopped skies. raining. And and so the week, you know, we had some on and off rain for a week. And every time it started to rain at all, dark skies was right on. And so if you look this, if you look up and you think, okay, we're gonna go out for a picnic, you know, we're gonna go for a walk. And the skies look even, you know, you don't even, the skies don't even have to hint at rain. You open up dark skies, it says, you know what, it's not raining right now, but in 28 minutes, you're going to want to run for cover. It was spot on every single time. It's like, it, it is a little window into the future. How much does this app cost? It's like two bucks. <laughs> it's worth every penny. It is, it, it was great. I'm I can see this right being now. really cool in Portland, but yeah. like... Really useless in Las Vegas. No, I can. <laughs> <laughs> or Phoenix or something, you know. I agree with that. And all it, and it's beautiful. And on the iPad app is is actually you know it's a universal app. Thank goodness because you know I I get really sick of being double timed for apps. And uh and so you open it up on the iPad. It shows this beautiful radar view so that you can uh, you scroll back and forth over the next hour and it tells you you know it, it tells you yeah it's going to be raining in 28 minutes but you can see as you scroll through this radar view exactly where the storm is in relation to your gps location right now beautiful beautifully done uh right now i'm looking at my says and it actually has this thing it says clear skies are boring tap here to view a storm in durant mississippi <laughs> so Interesting. And right now, there's no rain in the next, it's 72 degrees in the next hour, no rain. And then you can look at the full day and it gives you sort of the next three hours this afternoon, this evening, and overnight. I got no rain. It's going to be beautiful here. Well, you got to get this app. It's fantastic. It, I'll tell you what would be awesome would be uh, if they have more of like a snow application for this. I don't, I don't know. How no, does that you're, translate you're to snow? right. That would be great. That'd be useful for you. Yeah. That'd be nice to know. Well, and, and, I wonder and I bet if it'd be tough probably, too because, you know, the places you want to know where it's snowing are not yeah. places that are heavily monitored well, that's the necessarily, I guess. I don't know. Well, I don't know. You There's know. probably some sort of a ski kind of ski prep app. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. No, I'm on their website. And that does look like a beautiful iPad interface. It is beautiful. They did a great job on it. It's very, you know what I like about it? It's very simple. It's very simple. Well, it is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> 
That's it. it and answers, I'll tell you, you know, so it's in, funny because it answers we've had these. I mean, super hot. Like we hit 108 degrees three days ago. Yeah. It's been about 100 as for the high for the last couple of days. Um, but there have been these. I mean, the, I I don't know what it is about um, the weather prediction here. It's not so good. But there've been you know these sort of afternoon storms that blow through. We actually had a little rain this morning, a little rain tonight. It seems really uncharacteristic to me for a sort of a high desert location, but. Um, so it's kind of, you know, like you would think, I would think, well, I look at the, uh, forecast, it says it's going to be sunny and a hundred degrees today, but at some point today, it very well could rain. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. wouldn't I like to know? That's right. You would like to know that. You would like to know. <laughs> That's when, interesting. When that hey, so, uh, I'm all set up for the Music Fest Northwest. So Fantastic. We, when we is need it? to do a when remote podcast when, when I'm up there. When is it happening? Uh, it's the first week of September. Oh, good. All right. We've got some time. So, so yeah, we'll definitely do a show. We'll get we'll call Megan. We'll have her come be a part of it. Megan show, yeah. We could uh yeah. we'll, we'll uh she probably doesn't even remember the name of the show. Well, Can I, it's interesting things. I uh so uh let, let me try and think of some things that I wanted to talk. Do you have anything you you were dying to talk about? It's been two weeks. You totally ditched me for two weeks. I feel like we should talk about your voicemail setup because I I let's not. Well, I Okay, but I I don't I I because you know it's going to be a lot of I know I know I know no, I know yeah but I I'm going to make a note though I'm not good with voicemail it's, either it's, uh, I Google Voice setup I uh, I hate needs voicemail. to happen so yeah I absolutely okay. hate voicemail got it. got it done all right no I I do hate voicemail so I'm in the same boat I I got I, I my when you call me not just you anybody you call me it takes a while to get back email is usually pretty good I'm well, much faster I, I, on things like text and Twitter. Yeah, I need I need to do some yeah. some new setup things. Um, so that the just so you know, this it's September fifth through the ninth. That's uh, I think people ought to have that on the calendar. I think people all over ought to have that on the calendar. Yeah. Okay. So that's why I'm bringing that up. That's good. But anyway, yeah, we'll 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 set a schedule for that. I uh, so so um, do you have any any uh, particular uh, sort of marketing topics you'd like to talk about? No, I was I was interested uh, with the I guess they're they're close on the settlement with Google and uh, who are they settling with? Is it the FTC? Yeah, no, that's a big one, right? Is like twenty two point five million. Uh, yeah, FTC I mean, does fine. that seem big? That's that that's four hours worth of uh, revenue or yeah or profit. I don't know. If yeah, I know it's 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 big one if you're the FTC. Biggest ever if you're FTC. Yeah, yeah but if you're Google, if you're Google right. but you know it's yeah, one of those things. You get a company like Google who's who's uh, you know I'm going to call it a motto. It's not even a mission. It seems like anymore. It's been so sort of vilified. But you know their mission is don't be evil. And here they're getting the largest fine the FTC has ever levied right. against a uh, corporation for doing something that was really you know they can spin it any way they want. What the, the problem was? Do you even remember what the problem was? I do, and and uh, share the discovered by a, what a Stanford grad student or something. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, this was that they they circumvented uh, uh, Safari, the Safari web browser's yeah. um, settings, uh, so that you know even it though Safari said did something they explicitly said they would not do. Yeah, yeah, and and that users had selected an option that says I don't want to see, uh, you know, to be tracked in this way to allow advertising in a, in, in on the web browser and Google reverse engineered that option so that user settings didn't matter in this case and so that they were allowed to to do what they needed to do anyway uh, to serve ads in the favor of ads and and you know google spin on it was you know, i don't know kind of half-assed and and um and so the ftc has levied this fine to say you know what you can't do this if a company has this option and people click this option and then you can't do this that's not that's not you know well, I, I would think the negative PR would be uh, have a worse impact than whatever fine is levied, but um, I would think. But do I you guess we'll really think? I mean, this is this is a. I, I mean, it's. I I wonder if PR has an impact at all, right? I mean, this was this was a thing that happened already. The fine is sort of uh, you know. Well, and I don't mean the negative bit. PR about like today. You know that there's a fine today, and and gosh, doesn't that make them look bad? I I mean just the fact that you know that that somebody discovered them doing something that again literally was something they you know i mean the fine is is very specifically wow you weren't supposed to do this you said you weren't doing this and you did this 
I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it doesn't change my use of Google, I guess. So that's, that's you know, the, that's totally how does, the how does it matter? Right. So, I, I mean, you look at, at the, uh, look at the, the real issue is, I mean, they did this on Safari and Safari where it matters is really iOS because of iOS's, um, um, you know, dominance, uh, in the web space, but really, you know, you look at, at browser stats and and Chrome is still you know Chrome which is you know has has its own sort of respect for ad tracking uh, and and that's really I think what their justification was we were doing this to make it line up with the other standards uh, employed by uh, across browsers in terms of of reverence to ad tracking and and uh, you know Chrome is is I believe Chrome is now widely considered the most popular browser. Uh, on the web it, it yeah i think by by at least a little bit it yeah. is yeah and and so you know how <laughs> how bad can this 22 million dollar fine be right so i i do have the, i love that you said I, it's I, four hours of, <laughs> of revenue <laughs> that makes it that puts it in right. really stark perspective know, isn't that crazy yeah um i i i have this one question for you i've been thinking about though I wonder, from your perspective, how important you think it is to have your own sort of elevator speech about either yourself or your company, a small sort of 20-second, you know, presentation of you. Well, I think it's important. Do you feel like you have yours honed? No. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I know that I I don't. And I I know that I'm you know, kind of evolving what I'm doing and I haven't really put together something that quickly sort of encapsulates a description of, you know, what I do for money, um, to somebody in a way that I think is compelling. So, well, I don't, I don't know if I do, I I don't know if I, if I do uh, to the point where I, I have put a lot of thought into it and I've tested a lot of words and language and, and in terms of a, I don't know if I have an elevator speech, but I've got a you know one liner that I have kind of crafted over the years, and and so, um, you know when when people ask, I I typically say you know I'm a I'm a storyteller. I help organizations understand their story and then share it effectively through words and images online. And, and I I don't know how you could improve upon that. I, I don't know that that would ever need to change. Well, that's very kind. Of I you. know. In fact, I know that for you, that that storyteller term really helped crystallize your thinking about, you know, what it is you wanted to do and, and how you wanted to present yourself. And you can sort of, you know, you can call those other things variables if you want, I guess. I mean, you're just sort of describing media, you know, different media that is an approach to storytelling. Um, and I, I, I think that's pretty, pretty perfectly, you know, succinct. Well, it also lets me be kind of a flibber to gibbet, you know. I mean, it gives me the opportunity to to have choice every morning about what kinds of projects I'm going to work on, and that's that's nice because of my you know severe ADHD right. <laughs> my inability well, to focus no, on any is, one thing. That's, I, I but, just I really like that. I mean, well, I just I like I like having something powerful to to present when you meet somebody new or uh, your conversation eventually turns to you know. And I would think even, uh, and this, I mean, for you and I, I think it's more important because, you know, we sort of are our business. We are our, you know, I mean, we're, we're our own company and, or whatever. And, and so it's, it's kind of important, I think, to keep that, um, I don't know, keep it compelling and, and, uh, able to use and pull out at any time. But I would think even if you worked, even if you were an employee for a large organization, you might want to spend some time, you know, I mean, it's sort of the most loaded and and loathed question, you know, what do you do? Um, But if your answer is your job title. uh, I'm a, I'm a manager. Right. (laughs) Oh, I manage some people. You you know, like I'm, yeah, no, I'm an operations. Yeah. I'm an operations. I don't, yeah. You're never quite sure what that means. So I don't know. I mean, I, so what I, is your, I mean, what do you just, self. you just don't have one right now is what you're saying. Yeah. I, I, I really need to, last night I just, I was having a conversation. I thought, wow, I am really lacking here. I, I, I've got to, I've got to put some time into this, 
you know, this statement. Well, this is a, this is a cobbler's kids thing too. You know, I mean, I run into this all the time and I I know you're, I'm not alone in terms of you that, that the, uh, you know, the real issue is here we do all day. You're working with clients and you're, you're thinking on, you know, in terms of the client's language, how often do you really sit down and, and, uh, you know, do yourself that same justice? Yes. Well, I, and, and here's what else, um, what else made it jump out at me. So here's a quick one. This is my friend uh, Dave Olson, and I just looked at his little description of himself on Twitter. VP community at Hootsuite social media dashboard. I enjoy hot springs, crafting, compelling content, politeness, and nuance. See, I I enjoy a lot of those things. Not as much (laughs) crafting. Well, no, I I, I said I... (laughs) It's my... Horrible man vision. It's crafting compelling content. That's one. Oh, <laughs> it's crafting compelling content. I enjoy crafting I after and, craft and compelling content. Right. That's why it's important to have these statements succinct. You know, you throw in something like knitting, for instance. You know. Uh, right. <laughs> I don't Sutur- know suturing. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, no, it's good. And we and you know, Dave is uh, Dave is another one of those guys that is all over the place. Uh, and, and yet, you know, that, you know, what he, his, his, uh, uh, right up there is, is, gives him a lot of opportunity to do a lot of different things. And yet it does paint a picture of who he is. And, and it's, and it paints a picture of confidence. And so, you know, and I know, obviously I've known Dave forever, know a lot about him and you know as well that yes, he is all over the place. He does a lot of different things. His interests are wide, you know, he's, he's kind of, you know, always sort of engaged in something, but, um, and, and this sort of does that, this sort of says like, well, in addition to, you know, here's my day job and, um, you know, I craft compelling content. Well, that describes a lot of things cause he does a lot of different, you know, blogging and podcasting and, you right. know, writing and, and, you know, artistic writing and, and professional writing and all of that. But, you know, then you throw out politeness and nuance and, well, why not be able to say something like that? Say that here it is. That's my profession. And this isn't entirely his professional description, but uh, you know, but it's a little statement. It's a little way to introduce yourself. Uh, you that know. introduces himself in a way where there is there is some personality too. You know, uh, personality is is important, and I, I think that gets to um, you know the shift in presentation online and in this sort of convergence of digital personalities uh, that that I don't think a lot of particularly professionals have kind of wrapped their hands around there's still this separation of church and state uh where you know I professional uh, here and personal here it, yeah yeah you know maybe I use I you know my professional uh you know I have two profiles and one is professional and one is is my personal and I I manage by login kind of who what people are seeing at any given time. And I think that that introduces a layer of complexity that is not sustainable uh, in any sufficient way. And, you know, I just taught this class, right, in, uh, in Chautauqua, and it was, it was uh, called Building Your Brand Online. And, and, you know, one of the discussions we had, I think, was, uh, I think is really valuable, which is th- this discussion about the intention of the applications that we're using online. Take Facebook, for example, right? Facebook, at its very core, is designed to share, right? It's designed, it, its entire ecosystem is about sharing and educating other people about your life and the things that you are interested in. It is not designed to consume necessarily. It doesn't work with a one-sided kind of a sharing model. So it doesn't work as well to be the guy who logs in and just watches somebody else's stream. Because it breaks. I mean, the model breaks. If you have enough people who aren't sharing, who aren't, you know, embracing uh, Facebook as it was designed to be embraced, the the model breaks. Right. Right. Uh, and and so if you, you know, my my position has always been: if you're that that person, Facebook's not a good tool for you, uh, and you should probably not have an account there. Just call it what it is and be done. Move on. Uh, LinkedIn is, you know, it is a, it was originally designed as a tool uh, for professionals to connect opportunities, right? It's a, it's a job tool, really. I mean, that's what it is. At its very yeah. core, it's an opportunity connection tool for, for professionals. And if you're, you know, if you're going to LinkedIn to share photos of your kittens, uh, not the right tool. 
Mm-hmm. It's just not the right tool. So call it what it is and and post those elsewhere. And so I think, you know, there is this there's this sort of nature of of, you know, what level of of kind of integration of your digital personality are you willing to um accept? I I tend to go uh all in. Although I don't have a LinkedIn account anymore. I deleted it. Did you really? Yeah. How come? Wasted time. I, you know what were, I found? Were I you spending time it. on it? No, no. I was spending uh, no time on it, and, and that was the problem. And I, you know, I was one of those people. I didn't have a need. Uh, I, I, the opportunities that I get, I, I haven't gotten any opportunity from LinkedIn explicitly, right? I've, I've never had uh, a connection that led to a sort of revenue-generating opportunity for me. Um. And and largely because I haven't promoted myself that way on LinkedIn, I take no part in no groups, none of the groups, none of the sort of uh, the more sort of robust promotion opportunities well, the more on LinkedIn. Sort of the proactive, yeah, I've, I've, with LinkedIn, I've never done that. And the only thing that I had had done was pipe all of my other social sites back through LinkedIn through the LinkedIn profile page, which makes it you know sort of look busy at first glance. But if you're friends with me on Facebook or Twitter, you would notice that. I am, uh, you know, I'm already, <laughs> I'm already there. And if you're friends with me there, you already know the old news, you know, I'm yeah. pictures and photos and things are already there. And, uh, you know, I, I just didn't have any sort of robust network on LinkedIn. I had a lot of, of connections. I had a lot of connections, but none of them were, you know, terribly rich connections. Um, and so when they had the, well, there were two things that sort of pushed me over. First of all, they, they um, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn parted ways. So, you know, from now on, you can't, there, there's no Twitter stream coming into, uh, into LinkedIn. So things on my page would get pretty quiet because, you know, that's, that's where new content was coming from. And then they had that stupid password thing. Right. And, yeah. And, and uh, now that's a, that is a key learning for, for, tw- for uh, LinkedIn, you know, to get, to get uh, you know exploited at that level and i have 100% confidence that they fix it and it is resolved and passwords are you know um, now going to be in a, you know in a much more sort of secure fashion i certainly i'm not one of those people that holds it against linkedin but that was a trigger point for me to recognize gosh you know what i totally don't use it I'm just done. So you deleted not long ago. No, no, no. It was just a couple of weeks ago. Just when it happened. Okay. Yeah. No, I just was was done. And and so that was that was that. It was more just kind of consolidation and and realizing that I didn't want to be the guy that I'm teaching people not to be. Like the tool was not a good fit for me, so I needed to leave the tool. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I just I've looked at LinkedIn lately because I live in a new community and oh. it's an easy place, I think, to to connect with people that you're maybe not l- planning on long-term, you know, close association with, or, you know what I mean? You're, you're sort of trying to, to, you're trying to navigate your way through a, say a, a new business community or something like that. And you don't want to have to get personal. Um, and I, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I disagree with anything you're saying. I'm just saying that I've kind of been looking at it, um, and using it a little bit lately to at least make some of those very superficial, very superficial connections that mm-hmm. I can at least maybe, um, if I'm not collecting a phone number, but I've done, I've met somebody at a, you know, at a, a function of some kind, perhaps I can, I, perhaps I can then have the ability to quickly email them through LinkedIn where, Instead of just a random email, it's you know it's through something that says we're already connected somehow or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, anyway, so I'm 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 still kind of leaning on it, but I I don't feel like it's it's necessarily you know fulfilling any uh, anything of of value, I guess measurable value at this point. But well, that, that I says, I have kind of held on to it and, and used it more in the last month or so than I have in the last year. Yeah. That so, says a, that know. says a lot. That there's no. What did you say? You used, I think, important words. That oh, you're, I don't you're know. hanging on Were it, they, but there's no. Was I cutting out? No, no, no. I just have already forgotten. Yeah, seconds, no, me too. Seconds later. Um, but that's the so and, no. So I've I've kind of been using it, but no, you're right. And, and and yeah, if you're if you're kind of, I mean, I like this. I want to hear more about this class that you taught. You you had a phrase you used about. Uh, 
um, the purpose was it or or the intention, the function intention. Yeah, intention. So t- talk about that some more. Well, you know, all of the all of these sort of social tools, and and I think you know our our brands function around a sing uh, a, a, a either a singular or a, a sort of a, a compressed kind of set of intentions. And and that means you know there is there's a place at which we are most comfortable in what we do, and we are most sort of expert at what we do. And all of these social media tools have that that sort of intention. And when they get out of hand, uh, you know, when they start having trouble, is when they forget what their intention is and what their sort of core users are. You know, really count on this tool to to become. You know, Twitter I think is a great example. Um, when you look at what Twitter's sort of early intention was, is kind of brief, uh, uh, brief sort of connectivity uh, for uh, technically minded individuals. Um, you know, it it allowed this sort of very simple messaging system to uh, to emerge. Um, you know, on the backs of of core users, and all of the best kind of functions of Twitter came as a result of you know, users, hashtags and at replies and, and um, you know, all these wonderful third-party uh, uh, Twitter uh, applications to interface with the service came as a result of all of, you know, kind of core users leveraging this very simple message platform uh, that, that Twitter provided. And, and now, you know, Twitter realizes as a company that they need to make some money and then they start sort of advertising it. Now that intention is, has trifurcated uh and, and split again and and uh you know now they're as an advertising platform they need to start reining in some of the um you know some of the tools that have been created and and now their their intention is split again because they are hurting the developer network and and its core you know these these sort of core uh users who helped define the service uh early on are are now you know suffering as a result of uh, you know, Twitter reining in some of their API use and starting to tell, you know, developers not to develop third-party applications, that if you're going to view t- Twitter, you have to view it through our uh, user. And so that the intention of Twitter is changing. And I think, you know, people are starting to be confused as to what it is and how we're supposed to use it because we had one idea and now we ha- we, we've we kind of lost the idea. Uh, you know, Facebook is, is its original intention uh, to connect uh, you know, to connect friends at a more intimate level is, you know, it became something different than that. And I think, you know, they've, they do all right at, at evolving intentions and, and, and evolving sort of what their, their core purpose is. And, you know, they've, they've had some, you know, they've had challenges over the years because of how they, they, slam changes on their users and, and and are accused of kind of violating their users trust and i you know i think that's that's probably true but once you accept the fact that you know twitter is what it or facebook is what it is and you get over uh you know uh, you get over the sort of feeling of being violated then then you realize facebook either works for you or it doesn't and you should you should move on and fit you know kind of make it fit you and and yeah. So I, you know, I, that's that that's kind of the nut of it, and because there's so much fear, I think, particularly in advertising, and this is the core, the crux of building your brand. This sort of class that I teach, which is uh, that, you know, from a from a business perspective, there is this kind of, uh, I think, false acceptance of. Uh, an assumption that you have to be everywhere. You have to be on all of these tools if you're a business, if you're a new brand, because you know you, you that you have to have access to all of these, uh, you know, all these people online. And I don't believe that. I really fundamentally don't believe that anymore. I used to. I used that used to be a big part of my pitch is is getting people online everywhere. I don't believe that anymore. I think it's. I think there's much more nuance to it. Um, uh, I'm looking up the title of this book here. Um, Okay, I think I'm pretty close. No, that's not the title. I, um, yeah, the startup of you, maybe that was it. I'm thinking, so this class was about building your brand, which um, actually very much is, is. Uh, I mean, I should have been in your class, Pete. I mean, I'm asking this question to start off here with, with you know, um, you know, a 22nd uh statement about yourself or, you know, whatever, an elevator right, speech. Or, right. And you've just taught this great class on building your brand. I just picked up um, a book and I, I've, is it the startup of you? I don't know if that's the one it is. I think it is the startup of you. Have you read that one? No. 
Okay, it's the LinkedIn co-founder Reed Hoffman, I think, and oh, I, I don't know oh, if it has I've any worth. I'm, it, I'm just right. wondering if there were any, if there were any books um, that you think kind of help, uh, either maybe prepared you to teach that class, or that you think have some value uh, along the lines of this, you know, building your own brand concept. No, I, you know, I didn't really kind of approach it that way from a sort of a. a Brandy, because this was an online, uh, you know, this was really specifically what are the tools that you need to be thinking about and what is the philosophy that you need to be thinking about when you're building your brand, whether you're kind of an artist or, a, you know, I, I had artists, authors, you know, I had 10 people mm -hmm. in the class okay. and I artists, authors, uh, a couple of attorneys. Um, uh, I had a woodworker, a guy who's an expert sort of wood sculptor, uh, beautiful work, Dan Grantham. Uh, which you'll be seeing more of as he gets his, his website. Uh, if you're into wood, Dan Grantham, man, he's one to watch. Fantastic talent. Um, and and so, uh, you know, I have these folks on. They're all kind of coming at it from different stages, but they, you know, you know, they're all sort of struggling to wrap their heads around what is it that we need to focus on and, you know, what is step one? You know, I, I don't know. I, I Maybe I threw up a Tumblr site. Maybe I'm on Facebook, whatever, but I, I can't figure out how to put it all together. And so I tend to approach it more from a content strategy perspective. And so I think there is there is one book that I recommend sort of starting with, which is uh, uh, from a, a book apart, uh, which is the, uh, where is it? It's the content strategy one. Uh, hang on. Yeah, the elements. Can you hear me? I can. I need to be close Barely. to the microphone. So I had to walk across the <laughs> room. I can uh, hear you. This is Aaron Kassane's book, The Elements of Content Strategy. It's number three in the Book Apart uh, series. And I really like this. You know, it's like 70 pages. Uh, it's nothing. Uh, but but what it is, is it it reminds you, it allows you to think not about services, uh, because I think you get lost in services like, oh, I got to be on Facebook, I got to be on Twitter, I got to be on Google Plus. But more, here is what I do. Here is what I produce, whether it's pictures or words or video, or here are the stories that I need to tell. Now, which platforms are most appropriate for those stories? Maybe, just maybe, what I do requires no use of Twitter at all because the story isn't appropriate for Twitter. The, the elements, the content that I'm creating is not appropriate. And so I, I really like that perspective. And I think that's, um, you know, that's given me more uh, of uh, more of a framework for communicating strategy, uh, online strategy than I, than I have kind of thought about in the past. So I, I start with that book, The Elements of Content Strategy. I didn't uh, recommend the book in the course that I teach because... Um, uh, you know, we started a little bit more basic than that, but that that provides a lot of the foundation. I think once you once you have an idea of what your story is, thinking about the kinds of content you you create to promote that story, uh, beginning there, I think is is a better uh, approach from you know, how I talk about this stuff. Well, and let's so here's here's something. You know, I I think about um, you know, I think about for instance your phrase, your storytelling. You know, I'm I'm a storyteller, or I tell I tell people stories, or whatever. Um, and Dave's phrase, he creates compelling content. Well, you and Dave happen to be fantastic writers. You you are great with language, mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of people uh, think, okay, so I need I need a content strategy. Uh, I need to I know how to I, I need to sort of communicate you know, um, my talents, my abilities or my, you know, career, my profession, my brand. Um, and, and obviously languages, you know, if you don't have the ability to, to use language to do that, then you're, um, you're sort of hogtied. But by the same, by the same token, I think, you know, you, you talked about this guy in your course who was a woodworker. Well, I'm just going to guess. And even if I'm not right here, let's assume that he's not great at using language to really sell his brand. So when we talk about content strategy, perhaps for him, it's, uh, it's, you know, I mean, he, he creates beautiful things. So maybe something that's visual is the best way for him to express himself online, express, you know, I mean, his content strategy probably should be a visual one, right? Yeah. You know, I, to, to your point specifically about words and, you know, using them, I tend to be fairly um, black and white on this. I mean, if you if you if you really say if you really believe you can't write, 
learn to write because the fundamental DNA of the web is words. And if you want to enter this world, you have to be able to write. And, and I, you know, I feel pretty strongly about that, that, that you, you just have to figure it out. Uh, now, in, in, because, you know, think about it. it even if you're, if you're making videos, you're making educational content, it all starts with words that have to be strong enough and powerful enough to get somebody to click play or right. images that get somebody to click on a slideshow. Uh, something you you have to to be able to write to get people to 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 take action on your content to share your content uh, to write a call to action so i it is dna of the web and if you're not if you if you really genuinely can't write take a class learn to write or just be ready for the fact that you're going to have to hire somebody to write for you and every <laughs> word needs to be proofed and edited i got i but you, yeah i was going to say that's 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 a lot easier said than done i have hired um copywriters in the past for certain things and uh you know it's great when people have a, an amazing talent and can just you know spew things out um uh but yeah, like you said, you've got to proofread, you've got to edit, and then, you know, did they really understand what you were trying to say? And did they, I mean, it's, it's. I, I think you're right. I think it's easier to learn to do it yourself better than to really rely on, on others to do it for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but there are, I, I, you know, because you know, your, you know your story better than anyone else. I mean, unless you have somebody on your team who is totally invested and buys in and knows how to write that you know that's it, it's your story to tell i there is a book that i would recommend um you know for folks who are interested in in writing uh, that that works it's called uh, actually uh, writing that works and it's by uh since Ken uh for me you were breaking up there oh. will you All say right. that one more time I'll say it again the book that i that i recommend is uh, uh writing that works it's the third edition by kenmuth roman and Joel Raphaelson. Uh, this is a fantastic uh, book that helps kind of get over the humps of of and and fear of uh, writing powerful words. And I, you know, I I think your step one is to read this book, and step two is to read it again, and and then write some, uh, and and start figuring out kind of what your story is. You'll get tips out of this book that will absolutely help you. Well, that's cool. Because I was going to ask, you yeah. know, I I think. Um, I've thought about, I mean, for people who want to become better at speaking, public speaking, there's Toastmasters and that's sort of this, you know, <laughs> kind of like AA or whatever. It's in every community and, you know, there's always a meeting. Um, is there something like that for writing? Oh, uh, not one that I attend. Right. <laughs> I, thought, I don't, but, okay. I don't, I don't well, know. Well, no, but that. this is but, good. But writing this, that works. You know, like so writing that, that works and the elements of, up. and then the elements of content strategy. I think those are the, those are the two, uh, that, that I start with. One is how to write. Two is, is how to use content. Now, once you, let's go back to my, to my man, uh, Dan and, and our experience in class. Uh, you know, you are absolutely right that his ends up being a much more visual experience and the, the stuff that he creates to promote it 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 is far less powerful to him for him to write a a page on his website that describes his you know his woodwork than to show a picture of it or a video of it uh i you know so where we ended up with dan is uh is looking at um you know first of all his website and i you know i have this metaphor that is uh, you know looking at kind of your online brand as a solar system and and um you know your son the inside that solar system is your website and and that deserves all the focus early on if you have a you know if you have a facebook uh, page and a google plus page and a twitter account but your website sucks you know put all the rest on hiatus and and go back to that website because you know the website is is all yours it is 100% your content your words you are not uh you know at the uh, mercy of some third party's terms of service changes uh, you know, you you own what you create on your website, and then you drive other people to it. Uh, and and so I, you know, I uh, I think Dan's case, he had a really terrible website. He had a good slideshow of some old stuff that he could not control. He couldn't log in and update those pages. He couldn't log in and upload new photos. 
Now, once we once we kind of walked through the shortcomings of his website, uh, we talked about kind of the stuff he enjoys doing the most, which is talking about his work as he's doing it. So, you know, why not start looking at something like uh, uh, like using uh, Google Hangout on air uh, to do an you know ten minute education uh, pieces that illustrate how he executes some uh, woodworking concept or how he uses some you know tool to great and novel effect that that sort of makes a connection between his ability to use a tool and the work that he creates uh, and and makes that story more powerful because when you think about it particularly in in his case when you're buying art uh, you know if, if I have a you know I've got a couple of wood pieces on my uh, you know, on my table here. And the first thing that somebody says when they walk in and they see these, these little sculptures is, gosh, that's really cool. And the first thing I say is, let me tell you why it's cool. Because the guy who made it, story, 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 story. Or my grandmother brought this back from Indonesia. Story, 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 story. So if you, as an artist, as you, if you give people more story about the pieces that they're, that they're creating, you're giving people more of a reason, an intimate relationship with the piece and with your work. And I think that makes it more valuable and, and worth more to pay for, uh, you know, when they see you, something you are, that's really artistic. You are so right about that. And that is, that's some really fabulous insight for, you know, for that guy. But, and I can tell you from experience, I have a very close friend who has sold art for many years and I've watched him you know, sell art and, and talk to customers. And, and now he's doing a lot of his own art and it, it, there's no question that that's the case. You're sort of walking around an art gallery and people are, say they're on vacation, a ski vacation. And, and you're trying to, you're trying to keep them in, keep them interested, you know, you're trying to not throw too many judgments out right. that might, you know, interfere with their judgment, I guess, on, on the work. So that's kind of what you're, your best tool is, is to talk about the background or the artist or that particular location of the painting, you know, that was used or some backstory or, and it changes everything if you can do that. And so this is very interesting um, that, you know, that if an artist can kind of, instead of relying on a gallery salesperson, you know, to hopefully have some information about your story, but to be able to sort of feed you know, without needing to write a book or a biography, but just, right. you, you know, to show some examples of you at work or to, or to, to create more of a backstory for the work that you're doing or you as an artist. That's exactly, that's perfect. It's fantastic. Yeah. You, you know, and that gets, uh, cause I can, I could sort of hear your leading question, which was, you know, what if you're an attorney? Yeah. <laughs> it's great for an artist, but, and that's really true, but that's why this is, it's so important to look at this, you know, in my perspective from a content strategy perspective, which is, you know, you, you know, obviously uh, Google plus for learning how to woodwork is not necessarily the right tool for an attorney because that, that story is going to be different. If you're, if you're a construction attorney, maybe there's a, there's a different thing you're going to need to educate uh, on. You know, I've got some clients who are, who, you know, a, a law firm that, that specializes in construction fraud. Well, you know, maybe there's another way to educate the the public on the things you need to look for. And, you know, when you're, uh, you know, preparing to litigate for, uh, you know, construction fraud or when before you buy a, a, an office building, you know, what are the things you need to know from a legal perspective? You know, how how can you kind of tell your story? And, you know, the, the real purpose, your intention behind your storytelling is to build your credibility as a thought leader. Right. That that you have a place in this economy that says you have experience enough that that you've done enough work that um, uh, that that you're you know, you are qualified to support potential clients in their work, uh, you know, and, and, and so, um, you know, I, I it's it's hard to say that there is a sort of protracted kind of or, or this um, prescription. Uh, for you know how to do this and you know how to build your brand online and that if you follow steps one two three four five you're going to be there because I don't think that's true I think and particularly if you're approaching this from a from a content strategy perspective it's it's one of those things that's highly highly custom and you have to really know your you know what your intention is for your business and what your story is well um, and, before you go to and that I path. think you know you you absolutely I mean I think it's what you're saying is very illuminating and I, I I'm enjoying this I again I really do wish I would have been in your class so we got to do that sometime but um uh you have another one I have one in Portland I'll come up but yeah, right. um 
the starting point of saying, well, what is it I'm trying to communicate? You know, what's, what's right for, let's say the industry or for me as a person and, and how to, you know, what, what avenue, I guess, what, what media tool or whatever, you know, what's, what's, what, what's the, the best match, you know, um, yeah. uh, for expressing or, or sharing, uh, or selling. But, uh, I think sort of, you know, at a certain level, everything that you're saying leads us to differentiation. Right. So, you know, we want, we want to be compelling. We want to be interesting. We want to be, you, you know, share our strengths and share it the right way in the right place. But then at a certain point, you know, and, and this is just all, you know, marketing 101, that, that term differentiation, but that has to be brought into it. Yeah. I, I you know, that's, pretty critically important. And, and I think that's the benefit of this approach, this sort of philosophical approach to thinking about your brand, which is if you approach it from, you know, first and foremost, y y what is the intention of your business and what are the kinds of things that you need to do to illustrate your business to people? What are the elements of content that you can share with people to, to demonstrate your business and your position as a thought leader in your field? Uh, you cannot help but differentiate your business because you are coming at it from uh, really a, a very pure place. And I think marketers who think about, um, you know, we have to be on Google Plus because other big brands are on Google Plus are not, in fact, getting it. Um, you know, I, I let me I'll just talk briefly about Chautauqua, which which I think is a you know, is a, is a good example of, of this. Chautauqua is, you know, um, ciweb.org. Uh, if you, if you visit ciweb.org, you get an idea of what Chautauqua is. It's, it, it, it's a kind of the, the ultimate gated community for intellectuals. It's, uh, it's in New York. Uh, there's a nine week season every year. And, um, uh, you know, people usually uh, visit for, you know, a week at a time. Each week of the nine weeks is a, is a, based on a, a certain intellectual theme. And so, you know, our, uh, the weeks we were there, the first week was Roger Rosenblatt and friends on writing. Uh, and Roger Rosenblatt, if you haven't read any of his stuff, he's a fantastic writer and he's written, you know, some 20 books and, and he gets on stage with his dearest friends. And so his friends, you know, Norman Lear, uh, day one, um, uh, guy, I have to review the schedule. He he sits and has this conversation on the craft of writing every day with uh, uh, with other writers and luminaries. And so you know you get in this outdoor amphitheater, and sort of every day at ten forty five, you get this lecture uh, that is on this theme. And the rest of the lectures throughout the day, whether they're sort of more um, uh, philosophical, religious, practical, they all are related around this theme. The next week was Jim Lehrer and friends. Uh, Jim Lehrer, the retired um, anchor of, you know, uh, NewsHour with uh, McNeil Lehrer, uh, he, his theme, he would get up on stage and and talk with, uh, you know, uh, political professionals on what you need to know about the election this year. Absolutely transformational conversations happen on this stage. And afterward, you are, uh, you, the 6,000 person uh, amphitheater, outdoor amphitheater, they take questions. And so you write your questions down and you get up there and so, all right, so this place is like, you, uh, you have to think of it in like TED, right? You know, like the TED conference and these, these right. talks that TED puts out, they're absolutely transformational, by and large, fantastic luminaries in their field, sharing their insights, and TED gives it away for free. Well, Chautauqua is really struggling with communicating who they are and what Chautauqua is, uh, because that experience of, of, you know, kind of being on the lake and going to this place and giving yourself up to these discussions for themes for, for this nine-week season is challenging to communicate. And they have been, this is, this is the point, that all that was background. Over the, you know, the sort of last era of modern marketing, kind of the last 25 years since Chautauqua was founded in 1874, uh, you know, they, this last cycle of marketing has very much been, let's talk about what Chautauqua is from a consumer perspective. So uh, what can ex uh, consumers expect? And, and uh, you know, how can, you know, what is the Chautauqua experience for you, person who bought a ticket? Uh, well, it was better than cats. I laughed, I cried, I want to see it again and again. So you're, you're talking about the people who, who consume it. It is not uh, necessarily taking an active role in, in sharing the wisdom that is created at Chautauqua. And, and I found myself this year getting really mad uh, because they have transitioned that same consumer 
vision of marketing to social media. And so they would set up these porch sessions that they'd advertise saying, come share your Chautauqua story. And they'd have these doofus videos of people saying, well, I love my, I love Chautauqua because I, there are cats that meow and, the, and there are no cars and it's really great. But it, it's nothing that I care about, right? As, as a, as somebody who, who wants to learn what Chautauqua is, that tells me what you think about your porch. That doesn't tell me what you, what the institution is creating. Why not actually uh, offer the Q&A sessions in bite-sized videos? Why not offer those online? And why not, you know, give the do Twitter uh, Q&A interviews with the speakers after the after the session? Why not, uh, you know, find some way to integrate the content that is being created into the marketing effort? Because that's the story. That's the story of this organization Chautauqua. The story is in the wisdom that is created on these stages across this compound, not the, you know, what happens on the porches of the houses in these, in this community. And, and I think that's really missing and it's missing what we were talking about earlier, that intention. It's an organization that does not yet understand its intention, does not yet understand kind of where its solar system is and, and doesn't, uh, it doesn't yet quite have a handle on what it wants to share. Uh, part of the complication is they also make money off of what they share, and you can buy subscriptions to uh, to the full lectures, um, you know, that happen on the stages, uh, you know, so you can view them online, and and that has become a, a significant revenue draw for people who are you know old Chautauquans. But there is a, a kind of mix here that that I think they're missing, um, and and they you know so I, I think they're they're getting a handle on it, but it's an example of you know. What's your story? What is the story you're trying to tell? And where is the greatest value in, in building that message? What's going to actually make people want to go visit in person? I'm sorry, that was a rant. No, and but obviously it's, uh, I, I was just browsing their website. Um, and the things I was looking for, I found very difficult to find. I mean, I, I, I've never been. I think their website gives sort of if you're on the on the inside you're planning a trip there or you know you you're in the know you've you know what it's about i couldn't find anything that gave me a real sense of other than the names that jump out like you say jim lair and i mean norman lear and yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but but the, the know, problem this Rosenblatt is the... and, you know names that are going to really jump out at people but i can't get a real sense of this is the real challenge of Chautauqua, which is the only way you can really get to know it is by being introduced to it by somebody who has been there in the past. And they've sort of hung their hats on that. But but now that is not a sustainable growth model for them because, uh, you know, it's expensive to make a trip across the country to end up in Chautauqua, I mean, around the world, that people come from around the world. Uh, it's it's very difficult and expensive to, to make a commitment like that. And they need to find a way to tell this story. I think you're. I think you hit it. Like the website's a little bit confusing, and it doesn't necessarily communicate what it is that this place is. That this place. Well, and does. I'll tell you. And I still don't know the whole you know business background on this or what the future holds. But when I, so I've been to um, uh, the Coachella Music Festival before, and it's a great experience and whatever you know. But I got kids now, and it's just it's not top of the list to take the family to to the Coachella Music Festival right now. Um, but this year, man, they had these high def, they created this YouTube channel where you could have watch at any given time in the evenings and they had them all scheduled from sort of 5 PM to midnight or something like that. I mean, I was there, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. I had my big screen TV, it was feeding it up through, um, off of my iPad through airplay and, and, you know, going back and forth between these stages. And I was compelled and so maybe I am more inclined to want to go next year or or maybe I would be willing to pay next time around if they say, well, you can have access to the, you know, this um, this feed uh, because these are real live events. You know, this wasn't like, you know, you're watching uh, whatever, like a concert on PBS where they've got this very polished, produced um edited and it's nine months after the performance. We're right. selling this DVD or whatever. Uh, this was as it's happening and, and the camera angles were great. The production was great. Mistakes were happening. Delays were happening. Anyway, it was great. It was, it really brought me in. It made me feel connected, not just, I mean, to the festival, cause the festival isn't, you know, where I have an allegiance, but to these fantastic bands, you know, 
Um, it was great. It was really, I just thought, gosh, that's not necessarily novel, I suppose, you know, to like, okay, here's a live feed on YouTube of, of a concert. But, um, uh, but for me, it felt like, wow, this kind of changes things. And, and it, and it makes me feel, you know, I mean, it pulls me, it makes me feel connected, whatever. So you're talking about some other ways that people can, can be connected or, or interact with, or get involved with, you know, through the use of Twitter or, or, or other things that some of them might be live. Um, maybe some of them are throughout the year that it makes it more than just a nine week affair, you know, well, um, that's, that's the, uh, that's the real issue is, is engagement, right? It's, it's, if you I, know your story that well, then you, you feel comfortable when, you know, when it is appropriate to invite your audience into the conversation and when it is not, and, and when it becomes a revenue generating opportunity and you have to know that. And I think, you know, organizations like, you know, Coachella, which are, tend to be more sort of singularly focused on, on music, uh, have uh, an easier time kind of figuring out what that story is and what's appropriate to share and what's not than maybe, uh, you know, Chautauqua or South by Southwest, you know, that, that ends up having a, a much broader kind of realm of influence. Well, so and it's when hard. Have, it doesn't make it you easy. Know, I think when you have a sold out event and, and then you, and you then, you know, have it reach out beyond the, the ticket holders and the people who are in attendance, you're not going to lose anything. I think you have only to gain, not always, but, you know, but if you're having trouble selling tickets and then I mean, it's the same sort of thing with, um, I guess, pay-per-view sports or, you know, um, blackout zones for NBA games. But although I'm not sure the logic is, is always there and, and always right on those Absolutely. kinds of decisions. I think, right. I guess you have to test it. I mean, you're right. You, you, you'd like to know, you'd like to have a strategy that says, you know, we're going to pull the audience in and we're going to reach beyond our borders or our, our you know, our, our attendees. Um, and, and will that decrease or increase revenue? So, you know, you, you, you obviously want your best educated guests there, but I also think you kind of have to test and I think you have to be willing to take some risks to, to find those things out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, interesting I'm example. We, I'm glad we figured that out. All right. Out. Uh, you know, we totally didn't talk well, there about we the, go. the one thing I wanted to talk about, which was Apple and this EPEAT thing. Did you hear about that? Um, you're breaking up for me. I'm sorry. Gosh darn it. Apple and EPEAT? EPEAT. Because no, I don't. Never heard of it. Uh, EPEAT is the Environmental Protection Standard kind of okay. stamp that goes on the boxes. And okay. uh, this is, uh, maybe we talk about this next week. I mean, the whole the whole thing was that, that Apple has removed themselves from this EPEAT standard, meaning they're, you know, they're, because they've said, um, yeah, pretty much what EP covers is, you know, that it's easy to disassemble the products that you manufacture so that, you know, they can be, you know, properly recycled. And Apple had them remove some 250 products, even products that were, that were fully certified and said, um, you know, we're not going to do it. Late last month, Apple told the nonprofit EPEAT group that the company would no longer submit its products for green certification from EPEAT and that it was pulling its currently certified products from the group's registry. Uh, that the report says uh, its design direction is no longer in line with the program's requirements. That sounds like a Steve Jobs move. It really does. He wasn't it, with us anymore. Well, it's fascinating because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this because I've, I, I have the new uh, MacBook Air, the 11-inch, and I'm, I have fallen in absolute love with it. Uh, it is, it's, it is, you know, the, the only machine I've, I have loved more than this one is the, was the 10-inch PowerBook back in the day. I thought it was the best form factor, the best size, everything was perfect about that. This is better than that. And it is one that is not, uh, I think, terribly easy to recycle because everything's glued in. It uses non-standard screws. It's it's hard to take apart. And the new uh, MacBook Pro with the Retina display, again, everything's glued in, everything's non-standard, totally custom design, and it all all to, to drive toward this new sexy um, uh you know, highly portable form factor. And then Apple pulls and says, you know, we're not going to do this anymore. So, you know, that wasn't why I didn't bring that story up to talk about Apple. Uh, I brought that story up to talk about the value of these sorts of certifications, which I think is a, is kind of a more important kind of marketing conversation. What is, uh, you know, what's the value of having that stamp on the box? Um, and I, I just asked myself, have I ever made a buying decision based on one of those stamps. 
And the answer is no, I never have. And I, I don't know, you know, I don't have scientific data that supports that I'm, you know, not the only person who has never really made a buying decision on those stamps. But I did reach out to some, to, to uh, a dear friend who has uh, been charged with these sorts of things in Apple retail. And, and that conversation was, you know, is this a, a, a buying decision, you know, in the retail uh, arm, you know, when people come to the stores, is this a, a conversation that is had with salespeople? And the response was, no, absolutely not. Nobody talks but haven't about they, it. I mean, uh, let's see. So I guess there's a level to which the standard applies, but leading up to it, I mean, Apple has made some major improvements over the years that are environmentally friendly, like glass screens and metal, you know, casings and, yeah. and things that aren't um, as polluting as as computers once were is that that's still true and i think still matters yes well or? and that's the that's the point because there's this sort of hue and cry that apple is you know pulling out of epeat and no their things are not recyclable which i don't think is true and so i i've been thinking through this i wrote this post on on my blog that 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 sort of covers kind of my thinking here and i that uh from two points first of all that apple pulled out of epeat does not necessarily say that they're going to be you know putting all these aluminum shells in a wood chipper and pouring the dust into our water supply what it what it means is i think that apple is the company that makes their their products and so the apple recycling program is the program that best knows how to recycle the products that they make right that that they built this 11 inch macbook so they can disassemble they're going to be the ones who have the tools and the expertise to disassemble it that's my kind of operating philosophy there is nothing in in this news that says that they're going to do away now with their their own recycling program from all i can tell it's just getting bigger um now but but that's you know that that's it the the hue and cry is all about oh my gosh what is the value of this certification you know is there a value for this stamp on the box and 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 that goes not just for EPEAT, but for the Better Business Bureau stamp on websites, for, you know, anything that assures some level of standardization or quality, is it a, does that stamp have relevance? That's my bigger well, question. Well, and on a retail level, how hard is it to train your staff to say, go ahead and continue to sell this as environmentally friendly, just don't, you know, like yeah, maybe have, a month ago it, yeah. it was because we have this certification and today it's because I'm telling you so. Yeah, exactly. Because nobody, I just don't think once you've made the decision that you're going to buy an Apple product, you're going to buy an Apple product. Does the same thing hold true for a Better Business Bureau logo on a website? For a Chamber of Commerce logo on a website? What is that? Is that telling your local customer something of value? And, and I feel kind of bad, by the way, for the Better Business Bureau. <laughs> because, not really. But in the same way, I feel bad for the Yellow Pages. Not really. But um, yeah, I think the, the Better Business Bureau at one time had, um, you know, had more clout. But today, I just as soon read Yelp reviews or, you know, Google reviews than, than know if there are complaints to the Better Business Bureau, which is really kind of a, I mean, they they make money. They, they want uh, donations from all the businesses right. that they... Uh, but is there relevance in the customer-facing... Uh, well, that's and that's, so I that's, guess that's the my poorly stated point is that, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think at one point, if I, I never knew what it meant, I guess, if somebody puts the BBB sticker on their door, uh, whatever, it still means I have to look it up and I have to find out. So, yeah, I mean, I think these things are fluctuating. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, there's, I think our ability to have access to information about products and certifications and, and environmental friendliness and uh, customer um, satisfaction, we have so much more access to that information now that we don't necessarily need these, you know, stamps of approval. And, and I think that, you know, if we were going to have a broader discussion about this, it would get very, I think it would get boring if we did, but, you know, things like organic, uh, I was reading about, you know, how, I don't know what organic stamp it is, but it's, you know, the, the organic standards have become so, so corporate today. Um, I mean, the involvement and, and the defining of what is and what is not organic and, and, the, and they've sort of coalesced around a, a particular stamp, I guess, that it's just sort of completely lost the value that it originally had. Right, right. Well, you know what? I'm I'm gonna put a fork in it. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say, put it because you're right. I mean, that's to, why we're I, about to go down boring zone I, if we well, keep going on that one. You know, I I brought it up because it, it seemed like there was an, I don't know that there's any sort of fire there. I I just think that uh, uh, you know I was going to talk about it if there was a uh, if we didn't have something else to say. <laughs> it turns out we Which did. Which we did, and I wouldn't mind picking up on that one again next week, man. All Building right. your own brand. We I I just think it is. I I really am. Uh, into this topic right now. In fact, I'm going to say, because, you know, we're doing the sign off here, we're putting a fork in it, and you're going to ask me, uh, how can people get a hold of me? Yeah. I'm going to say, say strike10.co, as I'm strike10. just right now in the process oh. of developing the content right. for that. But it exists. You can get there. I'm, I'm checking it right now. I no, find it interesting oh, that you have, went to the dot .co. judgments. Don't do that. You it's it's rough. Is this, uh, you're on Squarespace? Indeed. So uh, I, that's another one I deeply want to talk about is Squarespace V6. Oh. Uh, I, I deeply, deeply want to talk about it. And I'm sort of bummed that we have gone so far over already. We need to, can we, can we talk about this next week, please? I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? Make a uh, note. Would you'll you probably do this too, but um, I'm going to, on my calendar, I'm going to go in and edit next week's, uh, you know, show reminder. This and is... I'm going to put Squarespace V6 on there so that we are That's... sure to talk about it. I'm also going to put... Um, building your brand. Building your brand on there. All right. So we'll figure, figure out what part two is going to be. Please. All right. Yeah. Go. There we go. go. Okay. Cool, man. Hey, bye. I can't find the button. I can't, I can't stop the show. <laughs> All right. I'm stopping it now.